Hey friends, this is Rob, and welcome to a a revisiting of a conversation. Uh, a week ago, we experienced as a nation killing of a black man named George Floyd. If you and I are not friends on social media yet, you may not know that I live about a block away from where the murder happened in South Minneapolis. Uh, ever, man, ever since it happened, you know, our neighborhood here, specifically that intersection, the corner of 38th and Chicago, right outside the Cup Foods where it happened, it's turned into this living, breathing moving memorial and you know over the past week i've been doing uh what i feel that i feel like is natural with this podcast going and i've taken some photos and i've been writing an, a, an article for a publication about what it's like to be living here in the middle of it all this happening right essentially in my backyard but as this week has gone on it doesn't feel right to talk about my feelings of being heartbroken and angry and confused as a white dude, it actually feels inappropriate at the moment. An extremely important and vital part of our community is in massive amounts of pain right now, and rightfully so. They don't feel seen. They don't feel safe. They don't feel heard. So instead of trying to find ways I can share my opinion or voice to you what I what it feels like to be in the middle of all this, I want to use my small podcasting platform uh to do what I can to amplify voices and opinions and thoughts that need to be heard right now that are far more important than mine. So uh, due to the whole COVID-19 pandemic situation, I put the podcast into hibernation just for a little bit uh, because if you've been following along, you know that uh, this podcast is all about me sitting down on location in person with someone, preferably over drinks if possible, to have a conversation uh, and being social, the massive amounts of social distancing right now have just not made that possible. So instead of just shifting and moving it to like a Zoom platform all the time, I just put a little pause on it, but I've decided to bring it out of hibernation. Um, it's more than appropriate right now to start bringing it back, but the problem is... Um, I I'm just I'm, I'm gonna just throw this out there, dear. I act I have no idea what this is going to look like in the coming weeks and year. Uh, I mean, I guess that's par for the course. I've never this, I've, this podcast has been an evolving thing. It's more about learning to live a curious life and changing my own personal definition of curiosity to a verb, to a lifestyle and trying to like figure out and define what I think it means to live a curious life. So I've decided to just do what I do best and what I believe is the reason why this podcast uh, has taken off in the first place. I want to listen to people. Uh, moving forward, I don't exactly know what, who or what that's going to look like. I feel as though this conversation is an appropriate start because I feel like it's one of the most important conversations I've had on the podcast, and it came about so naturally. Uh, the summer of 2018, I was playing a show downtown Minneapolis. It was an outdoor show at night, and uh, there was another artist on the bill. He goes by the stage name of Reverend Doctor, and... As I was standing there side stage listening to his set, I was completely blown away because he uh, his approach was doing a mix of performance, live performance looping, 
but it flowed effortlessly between music and conversation as he shared thoughts and stories of what it was like being a black man growing up in the Midwest. And it was captivating. He, he was so well-spoken and his stories just uh, instantly may just sparked my curiosity. I had so many questions for him. So I went up to him afterwards backstage and I said, hey, Listen, I know we just met, and this sounds kind of goofy, but I host this podcast, and I'm wondering if there's any way you'd be willing to sit down with me and have a conversation. I have no idea what we'll talk about, but I just have a feeling that I, whatever we end up talking about will be fascinating. Thankfully, he said yes, and let me tell you, it did not disappoint. Uh, we sat down over coffee uh, at Northern Coffee Works in downtown Minneapolis, and we ended up having a conversation uh, that just naturally flowed into talking about things like, what should white people do about systemic racism? What's it like to be, for him, growing up being the token black friend? What does the transition from adorable black child to intimidating black adult, those are his own words, look like when growing up in the Midwest? And what is racial tourism? We talk about all of that. It's my conversation with Derek Keith Rollins Jr. over coffee, downtown Minneapolis. You know, just last week I was listening to this podcast, and this might tip my hand as far as like the things that I believe, but it's the Liturgist podcast. Yeah. I don't know if you know that one. Oh yeah, uh, I love and it. So Which one were you listening to? I was listening to the one on the Enneagram. Oh yeah. The very first the introduction that I had to the Enneagram was last year. One of my friends, Mayata Major, she's a musician and uh, singer-songwriter here in Minneapolis. She's phenomenal, by the yeah. way. Oh my God, she's so good. What's her name? Mayana? Mayata, M-A-Y... Y A D D A. Um, yeah. She's she's based out of here in the cities. Yeah. Phenomenal. She plays a lot at View Carre. Oh, sweet. Um, she occasionally uh, will be at the Dakota. Um, released a couple of different albums. Um, but anyway, she was the first person to introduce it to me last year when I was working for an organization called Youth Frontiers, which is another really cool organization here in the cities. You worked for Youth Frontiers? I did, yeah. For oh, about man. like eight months. <laughs> really? When? Yeah. Last year? Uh, this past year, yeah. Did you know a guy named Dan Rodriguez? Through I Youth never got Frontiers? to work with Dan. Yeah. Uh, but I, I heard, I've heard a lot about uh, him. Was Preston working? Preston's still working there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Preston and I worked yeah, together. I know all those guys. Yeah. Awesome. Through, uh, yeah, you probably didn't know Jorge Figueroa. Uh, while he yeah, was he there. left last year. Yeah, he left last year. He's yep. one of my close friends. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I know all those guys. That's uh, so Jorge funny. hired me, but I didn't really? get to work with him. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so funny. Yeah. What uh, a small world. It is Dude, when I love you're that. in Minnesota. Youth Frontiers rules, man. It does. And she worked there with me when I was there. But when we were trying to learn how to work as a team the conversation of the Enneagram came up and so I was uh, scrolling huge into it I was trying to find like yeah yeah, these like what's my next podcast because I I listened to a ton of them yes and so I went through that one I was like ooh uh, Enneagram. I, I know yep. a little bit about this, but uh, I discovered that I'm a nine, yeah, uh, which is the peacemaker. Yep. Because right when they were describing it, uh, they they th- say that your reaction to it is usually indicative of like yeah. which one you are. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> when, when they were describing number nine, I was like, oh crap, that's me. Uh, that be- is so funny. One of the things that they said is that the nine is based upon like. Uh, in a way, laziness, but your inner, your inner like like calm, your inner peace, your yeah. inner like lake yeah. of just placid serenity. Yes. And so I, I know that about myself that like if 
I leave myself to it. I want to be as lazy as possible. And I yeah. want everyone around me to just be cool, man. Go with the flow. I just want Why everyone to, to just, fight? like, have yeah. a good time. Let's collaborate. Let's collaborate. Connectedness. Um, and so becoming older and thinking about, like, what I want to do with the Reverend Doctor, with yes. my musical project, what I want to do with life, what I want to do, what I have to say to people, what I have to contribute yes. to the people around me, what I should use my strong personality and my strong voice for, you know, that, that seemed like the most natural direction. And so... In high school, it didn't really have an outlet. Like it was, I, I obsessively drew all the time. In college, uh, that's where I finally picked up a guitar, and I did tour and yeah. I played music. But it wasn't. I was collaborating with other bands yeah. with their material. I wasn't. I was performing my own music and my own songs, but it was largely like in a band context. And so I was always compromising on the message and the sound, which is fine. You're supposed mm -hmm. to do that in bands. Yeah. But Reverend Doctor is really the first time that I've had to actually take my stock of what it is that I'm good at and figure out what do I want to do, what do oh, yes. I want to say. Yes. And it's, it's been a distillation of all of my strongest personality oh. characteristics into uh, persona. That, that's yeah. how I kind of think of Reverend Doctor. And, and so that's why, yes, you, you get that vibe. It's because that's who I am, but honestly, in thinking and digesting yeah. all of these different ways that I learn and the people that I know mm -hmm. and the associations that I've made, the organizations yes. that I've worked with with Youth Frontiers, like what is it that that speaks to me the most and that's, that is that connectedness piece, yeah. that is the peacemaker. I, I remember I was 13, my mom kind of remembers this conversation, I was 13 years old and I was, I don't even, I don't even think it was anything significant but I think I was just thinking about my friends and like I was getting older and you're coming online and like mm -hmm. a very intelligent intellectual thing when you're like yeah. 12, 13 and you're a freshman or entering high school or an eighth grader and I remember thinking I'm supposed to be a bridge that's the thing that I do best is is connect people that have completely disparate understandings of the world and it's because I exist in a lot of middle spaces being black growing up in Iowa which is very yep. very white yep. um, being an artist but coming from a scientific family mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> thinking about like the fact that I have a background in faith, but I am absolutely the kind of person that does not want to exist inside a church. Like, uh, and you so know, probably got you to the liturgist. That's absolutely what yes. got me to the liturgist. Um, and what originally connected me to Gungor as a band, oh, I would say, yes. um, you know, I, I have always been searching for a way to include. Yeah. Um, and I think that a large part of not just my generation, uh, I'm 34, it's not telling too much but um, I think a large part of people that have been attending faith based I don't know organizations like church or whatever are trying to figure out like this doesn't feel good what we're yeah. doing to other people yes how do we this isn't <laughs> like what I understand yeah 100% <laughs> right yeah. what what is it that we are then if we're not this thing that everyone yes. everyone else is so certain that we are which is very exclusive mm -hmm. where yeah. I feel like are we, if we continue down this, are we just ending up making more of a bubble where we just are preaching to the choir? Yeah. Even as a cliche as that is, but like, we're just, I only hang out with people that agree with us, and we just are creating like a community of like, completely separate from the rest of the world. Which, how, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, even if you have a very secular understanding of love, even if you have a very Hollywood understanding of love, I feel like that, even that isn't mm -hmm. that definition of love. You know, I, I have a hard time thinking that, that of making that connection. 
you know. With you're saying even the Hollywood, with the Hollywood version of love, uh, you don't even see that connection with what's happening. With with yeah, yeah. I don't want to go no, on a huge no, church, to- church to- tangent. Totally, yeah. Uh, mostly because uh, I don't think I'm the right person to have that conversation. I I just have a very personal association with it. I'm not thinking about it like. People like the, yeah. the liturgists oh. do a much better job. I mean, of that. I, seriously. Oh, okay. Well, let me ask you this. Sure. In your in your journey, because you are the expert of your story, was sure. there what was there a moment or like a season of life that led you to? I don't want to say questioning seems a hard word, like a, such a hard word. But was there a season of your life that you started? thinking about things differently, like you're saying Absolutely. right now. What led to that? Uh, you know, it, there's this weird phenomena that happens to all black children when they go from being like adorable black children to intimidating black adults. Uh, and it was in that period when you go from being like cute to like being a threat. Uh, it, because when I was a kid, I'm very intuitive as far as like, I feel like I'm pretty good about reading things like body language and um, reading a room yeah and I remember this period of time when I I, I did that where I started I could tell it was probably about my sophomore year of high school Mm. because I was always super tall and super skinny for every age I I don't know how that goes I was six foot three (laughs) in the eighth grade yeah like that's how tall I was and so I remember like when I started finally filling out like gaining more muscle um, that a transition happened Mm -hmm. and I remembered very much like my friends would be treated one way, mm-hmm. my, my white peers in Ames, and then I would be treated a different way. I remember we were on a, a AAU basketball trip, mm-hmm. and uh, one of my friends, uh, Matt Kinker, uh, he walked up to me. We were in a record store, like a Sam Goody or something mm-hmm. like that. The whole team was. Like, all the rest of the crew's, like, all around the store. They're, they're like, up towards the front, like, yes. looking at the records. I know the, yes, hanging out. Hanging out. I go, I go to the posters, because yes. I love the poster section at that, uh, because I love all the giant, just, like, mm-hmm. awesome, moody photography. And so I'm in the back of the store, and, like, the person at the front, like, blew by all of my friends in the front of the store, goes back, and is like, hi, is there anything I can help you find? And, like, one of my buddies, Matt, he, like, walked up to me, he was like, did you notice how, like... He totally blew straight past us and went yes. straight towards you yeah. and asked you if yeah. you need any help. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened. I mean, like, even yeah. my white peers were seeing yeah. things happening occasionally. Was it, okay, when your reaction right there, was that something of, this happens all the time, so I'm not even noticing it anymore? Yeah. Or was that more of a, on the front end of starting to notice it? Uh, that was on, I would say at that point, the front end of starting to notice it. Um, you know, when you're in class, like, there are ways that my parents knew that people treated me different. Um, I remember my mom having conversations with me, like, trying to get teachers to hold me accountable for my schoolwork. Again, peacemaker, yes. easygoing person. And so I was, like, teachers yeah. loved me, yeah. frankly. Like, I was yeah. super assistive not in class, causing not causing problems. Just yeah. would, like, make sure that everyone, yeah. like, was, like, cohesive and getting yeah. along, that no yes. one was left out. If someone was sitting in the corner. You want my stuff done? I can, yeah. just, I can turn in early if you want. Yeah, what, do you, what do you need? Just yeah. let it so, happen. Yeah. So she, the thing is that, like, uh, teachers, she remembers, like, she would be like, he's just such a pleasure to have in class. And mm-hmm. like, she'd be like, yeah, but how is he doing on the schoolwork? Well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how good. And oh, she's yeah. like, you need to hold my son accountable. Yes. And even things like that, you know, that she 
was paranoid about, and rightfully so, as far as like you know me being treated differently by adults, but not so much peers um, or even like the general public. But it, it reached a point like that, then where that was at the beginning of it, of noticing that things were beginning to change and things were beginning to become different. And so I would say that um, to your question, like I, I really started formulating that thought around that period of time that like not only in public spaces was I being treated differently but then like when I started becoming old enough to be involved in mm -hmm. things in church um, when my friends were connecting with like certain church groups uh, this I will omit uh, names <laughs> of the accused and yeah. uh, mostly because they would be a part of groups that were absolutely that evangelical Christian crowd and they would be super enthusiastic and into it but I will say that there were things that made me really uncomfortable about being a person of color in those spaces not just like the way that they talked about um, things like the poor things like uh, people that were different as far as like uh, LGBTQ mm -hmm. um, but also, uh, you know, anyone that was different than them, anyone that didn't believe. And yes. you really, when you're sensitive to already being another, to being uh, different, you pick up on things like that. And I remember starting to feel really unwelcome, that although no one would ever say it to my face, yeah. because they would say things like, I don't even think of you as black. Mm. Um, that even despite that, like, the fact that you have to say that indicates that you have a feeling about blackness. Yes. Um, about some kind of way yeah uh, and so that is actually a very unwelcoming thing and eventually got to the place where it created I would say an emotional rift between my friends and I one that I didn't process until much later in life as far looking as looking like, back on looking it looking back on yeah. it and what was going on was that I began to live a very different life than my mm -hmm. friends were living at that point uh, Man, which is funny not to interrupt you, but the, the, we were talking earlier about like filming yourself, mm -hmm. uh, like doing music or even like the podcast listening back. Right. It's funny because life memories might be the same way where you all of a sudden are mature and you're looking back at right. situations when you're in the moment, you're like, ooh, I didn't know this is what that meant. Absolutely. I didn't know they were saying this and this is why you start looking backwards. So I just find that fascinating. Yeah, it's really weird. So I absolutely can be riding with my white friends yes. that uh, I'm in the passenger seat and they're driving and we get pulled over and the cop asks me for my license and registration and I'm not operating the vehicle. And he can be there, but like he, the way that he processes it is going to be very different than the way that I process it. Your because, friend who's driving. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's he, what you're talking about? The, okay. way, the way that he's going to think and digest that, it, mm. it's probably going to be better that they observed that, but they still don't have all of the history. Like, they don't have the rest of my life that they've lived in those private moments. They, they're taking mm -hmm. a tour through that moment, and they can honestly oh. forget about it if they want to. So I'm coming away, like, yes. having seen that, but uh, honestly, that's just another Tuesday for me. That's But it's pretty shocking and surprising to them. Yeah. But And so I, I started living a very different experience than they did, and, and I would say that that's where the rift began for me, was recognizing that the people that I was closest with, the organizations that I had the most time invested in, such as church, such as um, like community and things like that, largely misunderstood mm -hmm. who I was um, and the experience that I was living because there weren't enough people like me there. And not only that, but there's also concessions given, which rightfully so. We don't want to like assume everything wrong about every individual, but I definitely think that there's a lot of systemic ways that, which that's one of those words that I try to stay away from, but there's a lot of 
institutions built around um, treating people that are others, people, treating people that are different as those others and making sure that they stay mm -hmm. in that space as opposed to um, experiencing life the way the rest of the world does. Um, the rest of the yeah. world, I mean white people. Yeah. Really. <laughs> but specifically, like, you know, having, I was the kind of kid where I, most of my friends were women. Mm -hmm. uh, not just because I was more comfortable around my sisters, but also because I don't, I don't think that I exude like a traditional sense of masculinity. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, even even watching like my white female peers mm -hmm. experience like is still not even um, a level of privilege that sometimes they even understand that they're missing out of. Oh, you being, know, being a woman, they're being they're woman. missing out on the privilege. That, yeah, yes. they, they they still. It's really uh, funny how like, for example, I worked for an organization that's literally right down the road here. Um, it was an IT consultant. It would be in the room with. Um, women much smarter than I am that are co-workers mm -hmm. who would say a thing and are like have the client be like no nah, no nah, I don't think that that's <laughs> a thing yeah. and then I would say no that absolutely is yeah and maybe elaborate a little bit yeah and they'd be like oh okay yeah okay I'll trust <laughs> like, you yeah. 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 What? and just like you know I mean even though that they were white women it's still like a male privilege thing that like I you know and I would point it out later and they wouldn't even observe that they yes were, they were like Oh, you're right. I guess that I'm so used to being, yeah, you know, overlooked that way. Which is exactly even... what you're saying earlier. <laughs> of you're talking about oh, this is just part of my life. Yeah. Oh man, your comment of taking a tour, someone you're just taking a tour through this mm -hmm. is so heavy and such a great statement mm. of that is. It just, it's just, I'm just connecting with that because I wonder, well, here's a question out of that. When you are living in your situation and something happens uh, where you find, you realize that someone else is just taking a tour through this mm -hmm. situation, how does that make you feel? I guess that's it. That's my question. How does that make you feel? Does it, is it, um, do you feel uh, like, oh yeah, you're finally seeing it. You're finally seeing what I go through all the time. Mm -hmm. Or is there a sense of... Uh, man, don't belittle this situation. Don't act like because you're seeing this right now that you know the scope of. It's what, a little bit of both. That like, what I just, I'm just curious, having never been on the side of someone seeing other people just take mini tours through your life sure. and see the little things. It's a little what bit that's like of both, you know. And it depends on the individual. I had a friend, a really good friend, Lori. We were really good friends my freshman and sophomore year mm -hmm. of college. Spent a lot of time together. And I would say of all my friends, she was the most observant about things that would happen okay. to me that, again, I would just forget that was like yeah. even a thing that was ex and different to my yeah. experience. Uh, you know, a like the way that a waiter talks to me or mm. the way that uh, someone regards me in a public setting or the way that someone treats us when mm. we were together. And she would always observe. She's like, do you think that happened because you were black? Yeah, she would always say that, and <laughs> I does it make you feel like weird, or were you close enough where you were like you entered into the conversation? Oh yeah, we were. were I, yeah. I'm, I'm a very open person. <laughs> I would so say fun. even someone I have a casual relationship with, I wouldn't be. It's very hard <laughs> to offend me. Yeah, um, mostly because I love directness. Yeah. I love uh, sort of a you know 
gloves off approach to conversation in life. Which is funny being a nine on the Enneagram, being a peacemaker, mm -hmm. that you still appreciate uh, the, like directness. It's because it, to me, it seems like it would be opposites. It, it actually is. I had to learn that. Okay. Um, so to answer your question and then hopefully go back yeah, to the first man, one. Like I said, no, I'm that's just good. distracted to go all the uh, different ways. Uh, so coming up in my family, my dad, he grew up in a very rough neighborhood yeah, in yeah. Kansas City, Missouri. And I remember he had a really difficult time connecting to me as yeah. a kid because I was so passive, mm -hmm. because I was so, you know, traditionally weak for a man, for a yes. male. And he really took me under his wing and tried to show me how to be able to do things like stand up for myself, how to have a conversation, how to treat myself and carry myself in the world that I needed to be able mm. to do in order to be able to even be standing or sitting here yeah, yeah. before you right now because he knew that the world is tough mm -hmm. and I was not. And so he used sports. Thankfully, I eventually connected with sports yeah. because I would not have learned the skills I present, I think, as a three. Okay. I would say that uh, the things that I've learned in my career and in my, um, if you were to look at actually my conduct and actions, mm -hmm. you would probably peg me as a three. Yeah. But which is I'm, I'm blanking I think on that's the, the achiever. The achiever isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it absolutely is. I think a way that I present that I I behave, yes. but I have learned to behave that way because of the things that I learned as a child under my father's direction and honestly my mom's direction too but also being in the world that I was recognizing that man no one's going to do this for me that if I want to if I want to play basketball yeah like I've got to I've got to be better like yeah. way better than anyone else so that they give me a chance mm -hmm. because no. At the time growing up in Ames, there was a lot of politics around uh, like sports and who got played and who Man, didn't. I grew up in Nebraska. My yeah. wife grew up in Iowa, and I 100% know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's a that lot of small town mentality. Yeah, yeah. It's you not know, about like if who's you're on the better. Yeah. Club. It's yes. not about who's better. It's about yeah. who, what, what connections you have and what yes. association. And yes, so, and, 100%. And, and recognizing that and having, I, I got lucky that there was someone in my life, people in my life, um, that were able to be examples of mm -hmm. that strength, of that sort of drive and tenacity. Because if I had never earned that, I would probably still be in that town just working whatever job mm -hmm. fell into my lap because I yeah. didn't want to make waves. But I had to learn that. Uh, and so I, I think that you're right, that is an antithesis, but it's something that I've learned. And not only that, but something I've taken ownership of, and it is instinctual for me. In yeah. fact, I love... The reason I love confrontation, because as a nine, I've actually found that it allows us to get to that place of peace faster. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is actually, yeah. that, that's the way that as a nine, I've, oh, I've like, yeah. I've made uh -huh. peace with confrontation, mm -hmm. is this idea that if I know how you feel and you know how I feel, we can actually faster resolve this to get to a place where we can have a closer understanding yes. and appreciation of one another. And that's actually why I love confrontation. And I can't wait for confrontation. And I, I'm excited when it comes yes. up because I'm like, let's <laughs> yeah, solve this together. we're going to go through Absolutely. it and then we're going to get to the We're going to be better. It's oh, going to be great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have my eyes on the on the vision of the future, not uh, in that uncomfortable moment. Yes. I'm, that's not what I'm visualizing. I'm visualizing yes. this is going to be, we're going to be friends. Uh, we're going to like walk, hold this, hands. Yeah. Man, okay. Uh, that is... 
Okay, I am so jealous that you have that mindset because <laughs> I feel like my transition, I'm trying to form into this person that has that, shares that mindset of realizing directness is always the best. Direct, complete vulnerability and honesty and getting to the solution is sure. best because I grew the way I grew up was the sense I'm a two mm-hmm. in the Enneagram, and, which is the helper. helper and yeah. so if I have a feeling of like, I just want everybody to feel good, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's almost similar to a it's lot of things in nines. Nine. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost, I don't want to be confrontational. Let's right. just play around. Let's every, make everybody happy. Sure. Let's just be comfortable here. Yeah. And Jorge, yeah. uh, who and I, he and I are super close friends with, he is on the other side who is very, his almost like, I hate to say love language sounds so cheesy, but like sure. his deal is, no, we're going to be super direct. Yeah. And it gets the same way because yeah. that, that only leads to closeness. Right. And I'm so uncomfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable because I'm like, oh man, yeah. who's just in my, just with uh, just my personality, how I grew up, I'm like, okay, let's just, let's just calm this down. Right. Let's if, settle even, down, everybody. Even if it means not being completely honest with our own selves. I think it's also possibly, let's just be comfortable. you know, it's it may also be a Midwestern thing yeah. because that's, what, 100%. You know, that, that's what the Midwestern mentality yeah. is, is let's yeah. not talk about it. Let's just fire as many passive aggressive like yes. bombs as we can until they're like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the problem is that most of the time that never happens and you end up exploding on the person anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I feel is what eventually happens out of anger rather than through calmness. Mm, that's um, really good. But yes, you were asking oh, me a so question deep. about, um, yes. we were talking about connecting this confrontation. I don't know if it was. In the context, maybe of uh, my friends, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, like, oh, I, maybe maybe it was earlier the thought of uh, nah, taking to it. Yeah, I don't. We, we, I don't we're at. Where we're I, at. Man, now. I'm fascinated with that. I'm gonna really think about that. The whole. Um, that's one of the things I'm very unaware of. The whole thing of you said taking a tour. Yeah. Do someone's experience. Oh yeah. Man, that's I don't what know it was. if that was, is what so, it was. We, yeah, she was very direct, and we have that kind of intimacy. Um, and I have it with most people, honestly. And so. When she was observing those things about me, uh, it would be the kind of thing that I'd be like, "Oh yeah, no, that's a thing that happens." Yeah. You know, yeah. that's just that's like again, it's, it's another yeah. day for me yes. uh, that I would barely even notice. Uh, you know, you endure thousands of small slights a day, especially yeah. in certain environments. I would say, like again, in IT, of which you know, women and people of color is they they know as an industry, yeah. like we're really bad at yeah. this. Yes. We're one like class action civil lawsuit away from just taking down this whole yes. thing. Uh, and, you know, a lot of organizations, you know, they try to avoid this by doing things like meeting quotas, which I think are wildly unethical. Um, quotas. Or, uh, like literally like, well, we hired our four black people for the year. Call it good. <laughs> you know, that's my white people voice. But. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've met our, our four black people. We've, we've got them. Uh, uh, we, we need six more Asians, though. Uh, no. Um, and they, I think that that's wildly not just a terrible practice, but is, is not the way that, uh, I, I think one of the reasons why people are so sick of affirmative action is because that's how people are interpreting it. It's literally like more faces that aren't like the faces that are already there mm-hmm. in order to meet these quotas but th- I, I don't think that was ever the design of, of principles and uh, strategies like affirmative yeah. action I think the idea is to be cognizant and try to eliminate bias even in the hiring process which my sister Adina who lives out in Stanford literally as a professor like doing her research looks at social networks in businesses mm-hmm. 
and tries to help businesses eliminate bias in their hiring processes. That's actually what she does mm. um, at the university there through her research and the classes that she teaches, um, which is fascinating, which only fuels my, you know, sort of, yes. not so much paranoia, but my awareness of that whole process. Uh, okay, I am, I, I, that situation is very confusing to me as mm. a white dude who is on the out, I mean, I shouldn't say outside because we're all connected with it sure. in, in the interaction of it, but on the outside looking in, I want to know how to look at these uh, situations because on one hand, like heaven forbid a white person not get a job because, right. <laughs> because right. of skin color, right? But then on all the these other unemployed side, yeah, white people, uh, yeah. which is actually, but, is, to be fair, in yeah. some degrees in some markets is actually true. So, yeah, um, totally. And, yeah. I, and I'm just, I'm curious though of what, uh, to me on the outside, I'm like, I want, I want to live uh, and embrace and cherish diversity. But at the same time, yeah, I'd, I'm not for sure if that's how we get there. It's or probably I'm not, not for how sure. we should get there. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? Real quick, because uh, this is a whole podcast. Um, if you could sum it down in uh, 20 seconds, in a little uh, soundbite. The, <laughs> the, the thing that's the, wrong with this is that um, it's not about hiring a certain kind of candidate, whether it's like racial or uh, maybe socioeconomic or, you know, trying to expand like the, the, the pool of diversity in an organization. What you want to do is in the hiring practices, it's been proven that if you have, you know, a white male candidate sitting across from you, depending mm -hmm. on whatever industry that you're in, let's say it's IT, let's mm -hmm. say it's, it's tech you're more likely to think and assume and infer things about that individual more than you are, let's take a, a black woman, for example. You're, you're much, well, which actually isn't even fair because traditionally and historically, black women are actually really great at IT and technology, but um, which is not something that you may actually think, or if I've, you didn't I've, know that, it probably unaware. wouldn't influence yeah. that bias that yeah. you have yeah. when you're interviewing that candidate. So it's all about trying to make those candidates shine in the best way possible with just their qualifications. So we talk about when looking at resumes, removing the names off the resumes because name naming yeah. is cultural. Like yeah. if you if it's Yolanda or yes. Steve, I mean yeah. Steve is yes. could be in any person's yes. name, but yeah. in this case I'm 100%. using Steve well, as a white for, name. For an example, <laughs> for example, uh, this is personal. I'm, they wouldn't care if I shared this, but Jorge, sure. uh, his wife uh, Janelle she, when she got married, she changed her name to Figueroa, sure. and uh, her name was Janelle Moore first. And then so she, when she was like sending in resumes, she realized instantly people were treating her differently. Yeah. And then when they'd meet her, they're like, "Oh, we just assumed that you weren't white." We just I thought know. it's like, and so she has seen this she, just yeah. by the name. Anyway, go on. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, Eliminating bias through that, as far yes. as maybe where they were possibly educated, just knowing that they have a degree. Mm -hmm. um, uh, eliminating like certain kinds of job history so okay. you actually send the resume through an algorithm that automatically removes content like that so that again you're just looking at the credentials of all of these different mm. candidates without bias mm. and then when you're doing telephone interviews um, do it that way and again there's some ways that people yeah. aren't able to disguise heritage yeah. if you have an accent if you speak um, with a certain dialect yeah uh, I know for a fact that you know if you have a Spanish accent you're yeah. much less likely to be called back for an interview really qualifying for loans yeah. allowed yeah. certain access to housing like 
that's why there are all these housing discrimination laws. Like this, that's why it's so regulated. It's because people literally, whether they think mm. about it or not, there are these biases that yeah. inform. And I'm not using biases as like a euphemism for racism. I'm just yeah. saying genuinely Genuine, these things yes. that we aren't even thinking about that are coloring our idea of an individual. Yes. I, so what I would say is that in this particular case, uh, you don't want to increase diversity literally by meeting headcount. Being yeah. like, well, we've got 20 open spots. It'd be great if like at least five of them were women or people of color. Yes. Um, you know, or something like that. And then like once you hit 15 and you're like, well, crap. <laughs> Somehow we accidentally hired all not that. So yes. these last five positions, we just turn we're away d- any other qualified candidate yes. and only hire. So it, you, the idea is trying to do yourself the due diligence of, because everyone has biases. I have biases. In terms of learning and understanding the world, it's how vision works. Okay. Biases influence the way that we do things because we need to make assumptions in order to navigate mm. the world. It's literally how we're wired. Yeah. It's how I know that this is a chair and that if I were to sit on it, I wouldn't fall to the floor. I have that yes. bias because yeah. I've seen other chairs before. Yeah. Like It's that same idea. It uses that same idea of our psychology. The trick is being smart enough to sort of intercept that or undo it or sabotage it in a way mm. where we can actually give the best qualified candidates access because I think if we do that we would actually find it's not always maybe the biases that we would have mm. in an in-person interview yeah it's actually other individuals that come from other places and have different experiences yes so that that's as quick and brief as I could yeah, make that man. topic that is so okay so what I'm just trying to think of an example of say I uh, or someone is not necessarily in part of a hiring situation, a mm-hmm. situation where they're bringing in and they have essentially a, a business or a culture that they can bring people in to make mm-hmm. it more diverse. I'm wondering if there's ways in our everyday lives to start recognizing the biases. Sure. Is it just an awareness that that exists, do you think? To an start? awareness. Like, invest, self-investigation is, is step number one. Uh, and recognizing that, you know, everyone is biased. Yeah. And if you have certain a certain trend in your social mm-hmm. network, uh, you could be a black person that lives in a predominantly black place and mm-hmm. barely know any white people. Um, so you probably have some ideas about white people mm-hmm. that are maybe incorrect or maybe even about black people that are yeah. incorrect. Recognizing that the way that we begin to undo these things is by immediately taking ourselves out of any kind of comfort zone and placing ourselves in a place where we're not comfortable, deliberately with people that are not like us. So, for example, um, one of the things that I'm always Which I'm really great critical at because I love uncomfortableness. Just there kidding. You, go. <laughs> I know. I, you, you're just like, mm, let's get right in there. Let's have, let's have a grand old time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about our feelings. Um, uh, so put yourself in a place yeah, in a situation. A really yeah. easy example, and yes. <laughs> it's like the most segregated day of the week is Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're worshiping with mm. uh, with people, literally, uh, put yourself in a situation where you're in a church that is nothing like a church that you would vibe with, mm. and and see what it's like there. And whether you're black or white, uh, you know, having grown up in Ames, it's really funny. I actually had the advantage of attending a church that was almost entirely black. Um, okay. And it was because uh, it's the most segregated day of the week. It was easier to worship in an environment that was comfortable yeah. than not. Even though 
you know, all of my friends I was really close with, like, went to other churches. Yeah. And I would occasionally attend their churches, but I would say it was really yeah. uncomfortable because it's totally not my... Your deal. Yeah, my deal at all. I mean, it was Southern Baptist, so, I mean, you know, <laughs> praise dancing, hooping, hollering, Man. talking back, yeah. call response, you know, yeah, whereas yeah. in these other churches it's just sitting politely. And it's not, again, it's yep. not better, it's just different. Uh, there's there's a different thing that we're all like keying into and so the first thing you do is take yourself out of your comfort zone and and it's not in we, we use the word tourism it's not in terms of taking a yeah. tour but it's actually like staying there and living there and trying to make a connection yeah because that's where I want to be um, I want to be aware of that too of not being a tourist right uh, so what, how can where's the line of that? Where's the is it the staying there? Is there is it staying there for amount of time? Or where's the line between I want to be more aware and more open and recognize my biases, but I don't want to be a tourist. Sure, uh, I mean, and that's this going back to I can't remember if we got it on uh, audio, but that goes back to the article that I wrote, what white people should do about systemic racism. That was so yes uh, controversial. Can you break? I, I didn't. I haven't read that article. It's fine. But in, in I mean, once again, can it's thirty seconds. Can you tell me what? Yeah. This? So it was about. Literally, like all of my white, right after Donald Trump was elected president and leading up to it, I would say that whole year leading up to it, all of my friends from back home were wrestling with this idea of like, how are we blowing this? How, like, racism is clearly a thing because mm-hmm. people are really making it a thing yes. and it's everywhere. Whether or not you actually feel it's everywhere, we're at least talking about yep. it. Like, what, how, their question was, what can I do to like make this better would be usually their question but they were talking about race like racism Mm -hmm. like having ideas about other people how can I disassemble this in my own life and it wasn't just one friend it was a lot of friends from back home were asking me this because I was their black friend that's oh man is that weird is that weird being like the oh man Keith, I have no one else to talk to. You're the black person I know. Absolutely. Are you like, dude, you need to find more black people? Or are you, have you, like like you said earlier, are you just like, I'm the bridge. I'm here. I know that I'm the bridge. And or is I, it weird? So here's the thing is that I did have that epiphany because there were all these movies that came out, I feel like, in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Like the spoof of other movies. And yeah, like the scary movie type yeah, thing. Yeah, the scary yeah. movie type thing. And, you know, you they, they sort of poked fun at the tokenization of black people in movies. Yeah. And I had this epiphany around the end of that, like I would say 2006, 2007, where I realized that I was the token black friend in all of my white friends' lives. Like, oh. there was no avoiding it. Like, oh. if, if suddenly we found ourselves in a horror movie, I'd be like, well, I'm dying first. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's just that's what's going to happen. Yes. I just have to accept that in yeah. a really weird Hollywood kind of way. Yes. Uh, realizing that, so I had already processed that well before those conversations. And I would say that among even most people that I have more endurance for helping others than mm-hmm. most real quick if you're out there listening uh it is not the women in your life the people of color the the trans queer mm-hmm. like person it is not their job to educate you on what is different about them and <sighs> like their perspective on society and the things that you're doing to contribute it that's not their job mm. uh having that said so that heavy. i as an individual 
have, I, I think, a, a lot of compassion and understanding for other people, probably because of my nineness. The fact that, you know, that one of nine strengths is being able to see things from mm -hmm. two sides, see things from all of the other numbers' perspectives. Um, that I have that ability and because of that I have mercy. And so my rather than repeating myself a lot for all of mm -hmm. my friends, I was like, I'm just going to write an article and see if I can get it published. Yeah. And if not, then I'll just send it to them, these yeah. individuals. And so that's where it came about. So the, the, the beginning of it was literally that story. All of my friends are coming and talking to me about this lately. Mm -hmm. Here, here's my perspective on it. And it literally just traces back this idea of post-civil rights movement. I, I hope enough people know about American history to know slavery was a thing, <laughs> the, the dissemination of that, um, segregation, uh, Jim Crow, civil rights movement, mm -hmm. right? And so post-civil rights movement, there was a really big backlash uh, on, on talking about race. Because I feel like before that, even in the North, you just talked about it. Like race and racism and, and attitudes and things like that. It wasn't an indictment. It was just like a fact, which in a way was a little bit more healthy than a lot more healthy than where we are now. Because there was this backlash and it was like, I don't see color. I, I call it the, the post-civil rights movement of trying to treat people as individuals, which is a noble idea, but one of the things that it eliminates is being able to see the way that things like race, gender, um, sexuality, all of these things influence yes. the, the institutions that we're a part of. And so we can't yeah, see the way that those... acknowledging it, you're saying you're actually hurting the ability to acknowledge someone as an individual because you're taking away a massive part that makes them an individual. That, that, that they saying. identify yeah. them. Yes. Yeah. And, and also, unfortunately, like our systems aren't neutral in the sense that our systems, like law, is built up so that there are a certain group of people that succeed in, like, in a court of law and there are certain groups of people that are designed to fail. Mm -hmm. And so... When you're not able to see things through that lens, you can't see the way that it's affecting these different subgroups of people. So it, it chronicles that, and then the fact that we're not able to discuss it or talk about it in public um, makes it, you know, even worse for mm. beginning to internalize all of these things into these subgroups, all of this resentment and all of this conflict between these different groups builds, 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 builds. Yes. And then suddenly it has this political moment post, you know, Barack Obama, yeah. uh, the first black president, which is easily, uh, I guess, except for Trump, like the most polarizing president we've ever had in this country. Uh, and it's strange that we latched on to race post Barack Obama because there wasn't even like anyone of color involved in this. But it, oh, it absolutely was this thing that it was being talked about more and more and more and more. And so my friends had reached out to me. And so this was my response. The first is that, you know, not talking about it doesn't help anybody. Not talking about the ways that we're different actually, in fact, hurts us because we're not able to see the way that these ways were different affects those different individuals and entitles those individuals that aren't different to be more successful. The second thing was that um, with that, uh, it's not, it's not any more noble or less noble to try to not see race. The third idea was that, okay, how do we disassemble these ideas? The first one is get uncomfortable, get out of your, your shell, go to places where, and I don't mean, again, tourism, since we're going back to that. Yeah. Uh, literally, you asked how long is long. It's when you don't think about like the individual as far as like, well, 
uh, I've reached my quota for black friends. <laughs> like affirmative action. I now have. Oh. You know, if if you were to Once take that a picture, doesn't become a question in your mind. Right. Then it's long enough. Right. Maybe if you were to have oh. a wedding tomorrow. Yeah. And you were to have groomsmen or groomswomen or groomspeople. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, it, if all of the people in your group have your same experiences, you're not doing it right. If all the people in your wedding party, if all your close individuals don't challenge your thoughts, if they, if they have all of the same backgrounds, then, then you probably need to shake it up. That's, that's the way of saying it, is that it's not about the amount of time or just sitting there in that space and feeling the otherness that's coming upon you. That's certainly a good step. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a great step, especially yeah. if you're not used to that. It's kind of just like a tan. I'm just like, yeah, I just, just bathe in it. Yes, I've feel, soaked up yeah, the uncomfortableness. Uh, just, my tunis is now saying off, yeah. I have to go home and I have to take a nap to process <laughs> all of this shame. <laughs> Uh, no. Pictures someone in the back of like uh, like some gospel church, or just like the timer going off. Bing. Like, yep. Uh, gotta go. See you later. Just see walk you. out. Yep. <laughs> thanks, thanks, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, you you want to get it to a place where uh, you know you actually are forming real lasting connections mm. with people that aren't like you. Yes. And it doesn't even have to be a lot of people. But another thing, again, going back to the very first point that I made before this whole thing, it's not that individual's job to educate you on all of the ways that life is for them. Mm-hmm. Treat them like people. That was another point that I was like, we're all people. Treat them like people. It doesn't happen when you're volunteering at a soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen when you're in a position of power over someone yeah. else. So if it's like church outreach or something mm-hmm. like that, that's not that's not an equitable relationship. <sighs> you know, that's not that's yes. not a place where yes. you're t- coming. You're literally yep. coming to them as someone who has to mm-hmm. have nots. So mm-hmm. that's not a, a place where you're going to. Yeah, if, if you there's, there's positive. There's, there's positive things about doing that, but at the same time, oh. I, I can totally relate to. I'm not thing. saying don't volunteer <laughs> no, your time. No, no, I know. Or I totally help know out saying, other totally, communities yeah. that totally do not, not saying, have yeah. what you have. I'm saying that to uh, say, to say that that's not how you get yeah. to a place where you're challenging your own idea of what is mm. wrong, right, good, bad, yeah. normal, or or something that you appreciate. Yes. As as you appreciate yourself, <laughs> <laughs> don't volunteer at soup kitchens. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> why not? Uh, that's so good. No, I'm oh, sorry. I'm uh, no, probably no, like it's all good. I'm, the I'm crap pro- out of it. Man, I that's funny. Yeah, I, if I want anybody to take anything away from this is like, soup kitchens are bad. Yeah. volunteering is evil. <laughs> no, but I, I totally see. But the, the what's funny and kind of sad is that, um, man, this whole conversation is so fascinating because you and I. I would have never known. I didn't know this before getting together with you, but we have such like a, a parallel. We have so many parallels. Sure. Of, it sounds like of our lives, uh, but then it, some. So many places where we couldn't be more different mm. in our experiences. Sure. And one of the parallels is I can totally relate with the thought of that's how a lot of people growing up would assume that's the way we fix it, right? Sure. Well, we're going to go volunteer yeah. and do something and that help. puts you in this level of which actually youth frontiers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is an organization that, frankly, is a have. Yeah. And I've seen plenty of opportunities where we've gone into schools where it's have-nots. Mm. And honestly, a lot of the messages that mm, we're equipped with are sometimes, they sometimes fall flat in those communities. Mm. As an example, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot is this idea of kindness, uh, especially with our, our younger kids. Like, th- this idea that we're supposed to be kinder to each other and kinder to adults. Well, I think the Midwestern idea of kindness is sometimes a little bit 
broad, too broad, especially mm. for children that are potentially placed in dangerous situations or have really unsupportive home lives. It's not, it's not kind to be around an adult or someone who is abusive to you or to think that you're protecting them by not telling adults like what's happening to you at home. I think that sometimes our ideas and messages of kindness can actually be really dangerous for kids, you know? And so that, that it's, it's like that where, um, come on, you know, you, you've got to have this idea of, of, of connecting and yes, there, there, there is an inequality because when you have a supportive home life, when you have people and teachers in your communities that, that love you, that want to help you, you can have messages of kindness that are yeah. very broad in general. Yeah. Because there's not really much danger to a child. Yeah. But if you have, if you, you're without that privilege. Yeah. And you're in communities where things like that do happen, where parents very regularly do have drug or alcohol mm. habits, substance abuse, yeah. or uh, broken relationships, broken homes. It's not like I think that that happens in one community more than another. But I do think that that message is not always maybe the message that you want to give mm. to like a really young impressionable mind. Okay, so there is, say you're in that kind of community that you're talking mm -hmm. about and you could take that broad message of kindness and replace it with a different message. Is there one that comes to mind that you yeah. would replace it with? I think it would, it would be love yourself. I mm. think that that would be the important thing. I think that love yourself is really good at that age because I think that with self-love comes the ability to love other people. I think that those two things are connected. Yes. Like a, like a nine. Yes. Yeah. I think that it's really difficult to love and support someone else, even as a kid. Yeah. If you're like, if you're really unhappy, I think one of the things that, and that message works in those communities, in those abusive mm. relationships, says that to like, well, even, even though my parent is not well, my guardian is not well, I love me. Mm -hmm. And I know that they love me. And I think the best thing for them would be to tell an adult what's going on in my home because of that. Uh, I, I think that because I love myself, I think that you should love yourself too, other kid in my class. Um, and because you love yourself and I love myself, then I can respect that you should be loved. Yes. And I can you know, treat you the way that you would want to be treated because I would want to be treated that way too. Yes. You know, I think it's all a part of the same continuum. And yeah. I think it's really easy to help kids make that connection when you explain it to them in that language. Man, the love yourself, uh, just assuming th and assuming about our backgrounds and the way we, we grew up uh, and like say faith things. Sure. Uh, I think there is a gap between, I at least realized uh, later in life that we're always told, you know, love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. But then we always forget the as yourself yeah. part. There, and then, so it's like, how can, I, how can I tell people to love themselves and take care of themselves and that they should love other people if you can't love yourself? Right. And it's like, it's almost like get healthy before right. you help other people because then you can help other people better. I don't know, whatever it is, whatever your end goal is. That, that is just so skipped over so often. I, I think the reason off. it's skipped over is because our capitalist, oh, this sentence sounds so pretentious. <laughs> our, our capitalist consumer culture kind of perverses self-love. Yes. I think it kind okay. of changes it into this um, self before others kind mm. of thing, rather than saying, no, self before others isn't self-love. That's self-aggrandizement. Self-love is self-care, is mm. self-appreciation. Yeah. is uh, a life of without compare. Yeah. It's not about other people outside yourself. It's about you. It's about um, 
peace yes. with who you are, mm. with the things that you are or are not. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that should be, should be something that no one is capable of affecting, no circumstance is capable of affecting. And it's from that place, that sense of peace with self, it's that perspective that you're supposed to take to others. Because if, like, our culture says that, no, I'm first. Hmm. Like, I, I know that you wanna, yeah. but I'm gonna take care of me, yeah, yeah. and get the things that I need, yeah. take my slice of the pie, mm-hmm. because I was here first, yeah. you know, and then you can take care of you. I yeah. might help you get your piece of pie, yeah. you know, but I'm definitely gonna get mine first. And so I, I think that's why the as yourself is often left off, because, I think that subconsciously somewhere we realize that that doesn't make any sense in that perspective. Yeah. Like, so then how am I supposed to love my neighbor if I'm supposed to be first? It's not about, like, we're totally taught. Literally, the love we're using are Mm -hmm. two different ideas. Oh, man. That... That is heavy. We're not talking about the same thing. We're using yeah. the same word, we're using but the same we're totally talking. Yeah. And man, that, uh, not to... That's why I said Hollywood love, I, yes. or self-love, or peace love, mm-hmm. or there's all these different, I think, ways that we use that word. Yeah. What is it, the Greek? They have like six different versions yes. of it. Yes. Uh, you know, oh, but man. they're all translated as love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the cafe or whatever, yeah, all Vallejo. that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, man, have you? What led you to this awareness of the importance of self-love? Have, has that always been that's a, definitely, a priority to you? Is there? Is this? That's that's a that's that? a family thing, you know. Really? Um, absolutely. My, I remember when I was a kid. Part of one of the stories that I told at the show that you were at. Um, has always been this idea of self-love and self-appreciation, and that's very much uh, a Rollins family thing. Um, my, I remember when I was really, really young, my mom, before school, was, yeah. she sat me down, and she, the, do you remember this story? I admit, I'm not sure that's okay. if I was uh, listening she, to this one. She, it was, it was before school, I was very young. I think, honestly, it was before, like before mm-hmm. kindergarten. I was gonna be starting in Ohio at that time, and she said, Keith, there are people in this world that are going to want to treat you different because of the color of your skin. Yeah, and to say this to like a five-year-old. Yeah. Her beloved only son, uh, she had to say that this world might hate you. Uh, But the thing that she wanted to let me know was don't ever let anyone treat you like you are any less than they are. You are just as good. Hmm. Yeah. You are worth just as much. And that's what she impressed upon me. What both my parents oh, impressed upon so me. So cool. Is this idea of self-value and self-appreciation. And one of the reasons they had to do that is because there's a lot of times when the world is going to show us that that's not true. Mm-hmm. And the reason I, to- I always tell that story in the context of the song I'm about to play, it's a song called Build It Up, um, which was written since you're a Minneapolis yeah. person too. It was written, um, finished shortly after mm-hmm. Philando Castile was shot, which we both know is less than two miles from where we're sitting right now. Yeah. And so, like, my house is actually, like, I think it's less than a mile from where I live. Oh, uh, yeah. Because it's, like, right down down Franklin, Chicago, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, So. you know, I mean, and he's, like, a guy that worked in schools like I did for, you know, this last year. Yeah. um, About the same age. And uh, I actually started writing it a while ago when Trayvon Martin was shot. And the reason why I started writing it was 
you know, again, the world, it wasn't just the fact that the world was showing me once again that like my life was less, what mm. was worth less. Mm. But it was the fact that my wife and I are at the point now where we're thinking about having kids. Mm -hmm. We're not having a kid yet or anything, but we're talking about it. And it was thinking that like, man, literally visualizing like I have a kid. And I might have to tell them that, that I might have to like try to get, make my words a, a shield, an armor mm. for them so that they, when they go out in the world, are protected against the things that the world, mm. which is why this idea of self-peace, self-love mm. is so important. And the reason I wrote that song was it was a way for me to deal with my anger. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my frustration with that whole situation uh, uh, it was the, this idea that I had a choice. I had the choice to either let that thought of telling my beloved child that the world was going to treat them different just because of a thing that they couldn't change and mm -hmm. we both, both knew wasn't like a deal. Mm -hmm. um, but still is a deal. But still That's is a deal. A deal with that, yeah. Um, with, like deal, processing that in, instead of letting that anger eat me alive mm -hmm. I had a choice to either let that happen and then project that same negativity of the world back out yeah in anger which yeah. is such a human thing yeah it's so frustrating this is a brief aside yeah and when, when people come to me Locals. and are like oh yeah uh, we're we're upset about this person getting killed so we're just gonna tear stuff up and it's like you could not be more dehumanizing of the people that are going through that grief mm. and that situation, that that wrong against their community. I'm not saying that I, I believe that vandalism, that you're entitled to destroy pro property, people that you're mm. like out of anger or grief mm. or anything like that, but I'm saying that to not have compassion for people mm. in that situation. Have you ever been angry at something and like punched your fist into the wall? Mm. Like when we see that happen in a movie, we're not like, oh boy, that guy was stupid. Now yeah. his fist is bleeding. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah, I mean, we are sometimes, yeah. but like but at the same time, yeah. we still understand where that comes from, that yes. frustration to yeah. like lash out. It's the same thing, yeah. only on in a community and a mob mentality. But that brief aside, oh, gone. Yes. Um, the, for me, my decision with that song called Build It Up is to positively affect my community yeah. to allow this grief this sadness yeah. be able to make it its way out into the world where we are going to build up our community yeah. that's my own declaration i'm going to build up my community i'm going to build up the spaces around me the people around me i'm going to encourage myself and by encouraging myself encouraging yeah. others that's my goal yeah i don't know if i achieve that time will tell but that's that was my goal and so my the song is a very personal song but the way I always try to set it up before I play it is by saying that it could be anything. It mm. could be literally, you have more money mm. than most people that you would encounter day-to-day -day life. You have less money. You have um, uh, an impairment. You uh, aren't familiar with popular movies. It really could be any superficial reason. As many yes. ways as we are different, yes. that's as many ways there are to discriminate against a person. People are always going to want you to put you in a box. Yeah. You're a white yeah. male. Yeah. That, that people are always going to want to like tear you down for different things. That you have the choice of either giving into that thing mm -hmm. and in a way living down to that expectation or the goal yeah. could be to build it up. And so that's yeah. what that's what the song is about. That's what the message is about. That's that's very central to Reverend Doctor is this idea of 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 overcoming and, and by overcoming helping along others 
to get yes. to where you're going. Yes. You know, man, it's this, uh, it just comes back to that thought of love yourself, take mm-hmm. care of yourself. And then because of that, through that, after that, bring people along, help right. other people. Um, man, okay, you, with your stuff, even this, there's this idea of like positivity. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I read uh, you being described as defiantly positive. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that plays a role, that phrase, like, what, I'm curious about what does that mean to be defiantly positive to Absolutely. You? So, it's really not popular right now, I feel like in most circles where we're talking about intersectionality or mm. um, all of these progressive ideas, whether it's... Uh, gender equality, uh, feminism, um, LGBTQ rights, uh, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter, all of these different movements right now, this idea of mercy and compassion are not principles, are, are not uh, ideas to be appreciated. Mm. It's almost like that's how they used to do it. Like back in the day, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So now we got to do it our way. And, yeah. and I don't think that that's true. I mm. think that you know, in a lot of ways, the civil rights movement was successful because it, it put the world, the world's eyes on a situation which was largely nonviolent. Obviously, there were certain, certainly violent aspects of it, um, you know, as far as riots, but also as far as responses yeah. to the nonviolent mm-hmm. actions and, and protests and marches. But when you have a passive approach to it, when you have a nonviolent approach to a social justice or a human rights issue, if you're met with violence, it's really clear who's, you, you have the moral high ground. And I think that, I think a lot of radical things, I think that right now, these movements, what we need to be doing the most is embracing our ideas of patriotism, mm. ideas of being the fact that like our acts of protest are, make us actually we love country just as much, if not more, mm-hmm. um, through that, through our exercising our First Amendment rights, that we have as much ownership as anyone does over ideas of love for country. And I think that's one of the things yeah. that you connected with in your email was when you first reached out to me was this idea that, um, you know, there is there is no American story because it's all an American story if you're in America. Well, man, that's why I want to ask you about that, too, because that's literally the reason this is happening is mm-hmm. because your message, you said from on stage, you gave this story mm-hmm. of talking about my people mm-hmm. brought over and enslaved my people. I want to have you expound on that or sure. even say in this context because sure. I heard that and it was just so moving to me mm. of that approach. I mean, that is the... It lets guards down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's. I mean, it, it. It was just so powerful. I was like, well, I, I need to get behind here more about so this. So it's funny, you know. Black people in America are called African American. Um, is like the politically correct term, and I don't. I don't take issue with that at all because one of the things that it does is it makes us uniquely mm-hmm. American. Yeah. In a way that we're not like black people in Britain as far as like historically and culturally have a completely different touchstone than people in the United States than African people do mm-hmm. as far as like their identity and blackness. Like in America, we're, it's, it's, very, it's a very different beast and I think it's a large part of the reason like why our music is so often impersonated or appropriated or reintroduced or reinvented by other different cultures or even just listened to in its raw form all around, okay. the, all around the world. Uh, I, I think that just to make it clear, you're referring to, I have a song called Pledge of Allegiance. I wanted yes. to write a song about how much I love America. 
and the way that I loved America. And I'm not intimidated by my ideas of critiquing America. I don't think that it's, it's unpatriotic to say that we can do better. I think that it, that's an act of love. I don't think that in a marriage, if you just let things that your spouse are doing that are bad either for your spouse or for your relationship, mm -hmm. I think an act of love is to address that, that hurt, that wound, rather than just say, no, actually, it's loving for me to like not make yes. you address it Dude, because you don't want to deal. Back to that, even with your nindness, yeah. even the same thing. It's like the thing we're all fe we're right. all talking about is do be more direct, being more direct with the goal because that is more loving, not that is more of, loving. Yes, and so with with my own personal heritage, obviously, if you end up filming this and seeing it later, I <laughs> identify as black. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. My heritage is I'm Irish, I'm German, and I can actually trace those roots back. Yeah. Those are the only roots I can trace back. But clearly I'm African, probably. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming. Slavery, sadly. But the yeah. most interesting is, is my, um, the reason why I can trace my Irish heritage back is because there was a white landowner hmm. uh, in the South that owned slaves that actually married one of his slaves. Mm. And that's the reason I can trace it back. That's the reason why my lineage isn't broken, is because it wasn't just an illicit relationship yes, yeah. or rape, let's just yeah. call it what it is. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't anything like that. It was a legitimate relationship, yes. which is like, my wife is white and it's like, we're like, oh, the world hates us. And just imagine <laughs> what that must have been like, man. But, you know, so Irish, German, um, obviously African, but also native, Native American. Yeah. And so I have all of these different things inside me. And the story that you're referring to is, if you want to think about the absurdity of race, it's literally embodied in me. It's the idea that like my people like came over on a boat and then slaughtered my people and then went to Africa and like enslaved my people and brought them back and made them work the land. Of my people. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yes. Wow, man. So, you know, I mean, that was so powerful. I've never heard it put yeah. that way before. It's, it's, oh. I, I, and so when I think about America, like there's, it's not that I think that there's no one more American than I am. It's that my story, the reason I love America is because my story yeah. can't happen anywhere else but mm. America. That's the reason why I love America. Wow. Is because I have direct ownership over it. Mm -hmm. And so the song is all about this idea of, how do I both say that I love America and I think we can do better? And so the idea is to like, is to not say that we're terrible, we're doing all these things wrong, but is to address our history and say that despite that we're awesome and we can do better. We can make our weaknesses our strength. We can make the things that have torn apart us apart and divided us, the yeah. things that are our that will help us be the moral compass that America aspires to be for the rest of the world. Yeah. And so that's that's what that song was about. That was its goal. And, and whether again, <laughs> I have all these like, like every song yes. I write with Reverend Doctor is like I'm like shooting for the stars. And oh man, I love I, it. it. I love that. The, I think that uh, the messages the I want my set to be part this mm -hmm. um, in part music because that's where Reverend Doctor does best is this idea of a dialogue is yes. this idea of 
of call and response. Yes. And, and that's why I wanted to have this idea of church and also the civil rights movement, like all of these different parts that indicate involvement, interaction, participation as a part of my set. North Loop Fest is yes. definitely not the type of place <laughs> yeah. to be like, hey, everyone. <laughs> Which is why I was like sh shocked and surprised you heard anything at all. Because uh, when I was telling those stories, which are super important to the songs, and are, I try to keep short as far as their intros. I, I, I'm surprised if anyone listens, but it's important to me as far as like the act that it has mm -hmm. that kind of setup yes. because it's it's central to who the act is. Yeah, that is a fine balance when just in the sense of um, musical performance mm -hmm. and putting a set together. Mm -hmm. It's a fine line between, uh, and everybody everybody's. Thing is different, but mm -hmm. where do you how how much do you talk? Mm -hmm. How much music do you have in between? Like where where do you find the ebb and flow of that? How do you find the balance where you still people are still engaged? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you're doing a cool job of it because I think uh, which as goofy as it seems, I wonder how much Youth Frontiers has played into that because they're masters mm -hmm. at keeping attention, mm -hmm. and I feel like at the very end of the day. As long as you are not losing people, and if you can still keep people entertained first mm -hmm. and engaged, then I'm like, the more you can throw in your talking, the yeah. better, you know? Because then it makes it more powerful. Then it's not just songs. Then you're like, hey, this is where the song comes from. Yeah. And it affects people. I, uh. It absolutely has played a part. Um, you know, Mayata and I, like, I, I watched a show that she did a few days ago, and I remember watching her a while ago before she watched, she was at Youth Frontiers, and it, it definitely allows you to be able to self-curate yeah. as far as how much talking is too, too much talking and what is even a story that people want to hear. Yep. And it kind of gives you these lenses to be able to look at that through because there's not really much that separates an adult attention span from a child's yeah. in a musical context. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> like, yeah. like when you're on stage and I have a drink in my hand, you better say some interesting stuff or I am uh, out. I'm totally I'm out. I'm downing yeah. this and talking to my neighbor. That's yes. like what's going to happen. Yes. Here. And so it, it definitely has played a part in that. And it's also, again, self-curation as far as like, what is even a useful story mm. to tell? Mm. Because... Reverend Doctor is filled with all this intentionality as far as everything from literally the way that the act looks and appears to the things that I say on stage to like the arrangements of the songs and the, the different kinds of music that they incorporate and integrate. And even the covers that I do are all very deliberate. Um, and the reason that is, I want people to know that um, there's goal. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's not just, I absolutely. Yeah. If, if you look at it on the surface, I yes. want it to be a good song. Yeah. I just want you to hear a good song. Yes. If you like see me on stage, I just want yeah. you to be like, I I enjoyed his show. I enjoyed yeah, his yeah. set. If you meet me as a person, be like, I enjoyed him as a person. Yeah. But if you're like, I want to know more. Yeah. It, hopefully, you'll begin to see these themes and things worked in, needed, hopefully in and inextricable. Yes. From from the things, not just like, I'm a I'm a person who's socially interested, but uh, I also play music like yes. I have this like little stupid pop song and then yes. I have a deep conversation yeah. like, this is out of left field <laughs> yeah. like I've been doing it hopefully yeah. working my way in all night up to this, poem, this yes. point this moment it's not talked about a lot within artists but I feel like a really big thing is uh, building trust right off the front end of a set you people subconsciously want 
to feel that you are in control. Mm -hmm. You have an intention of where the set mm -hmm. is going, that the, your thought and the whole evening is co a cohesive mm -hmm. thought, and that you're going to take them on a journey. Because mm -hmm. I feel like if you can start strong and maybe even say something addressing that, here's, mm -hmm. what's, here's what it's going to look like. I'm going to mm -hmm. play a few songs. I'm going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Someone just goes, oh, okay. You, I, I can, I can let myself engage in your set, right? Because I trust. It's just fully trust. Like you're gonna take me somewhere. You're not just gonna be winging it. You're not an amateur doing just whatever yeah. comes to your mind. Give me a roadmap. Yeah, man. give me a roadmap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did uh, that at the beginning of the set, but again, it's North Loop Fest. Oh, dude. Know? Yeah. And so what can it's you like, do? And it's, I was just like, half the people uh, are listening. Half the people are looking about if it's gonna rain or not. Right. Oh, oh man, geez, that was what the rain was such a drag on that. Um, but oh man, I definitely did that, and it was like, yeah. I, I'm all about inviting the audience. Um, I used to say the phrase safe space, but I've since dropped that. <laughs> um, and the reason I wanted that is because I actually want to be, <laughs> this is again, not so much my nine, but my threeness. Yeah. Um, I, I want to actually have, mm. if someone starts heckling me or being yeah. like, no, black people suck, <laughs> who knows? They're never going to shout that at me on stage. Uh, North Loop Fest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. North Loop Fest. North Minneapolis. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, they, they, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I have the kind of personality where I'll just be like, Hold on, let's talk about what you just said. <laughs> let's, let's get let's, into like, this. talk about this. Yeah, yes. and then like, let's pull Break the audience. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and that may be, that's not so much my youth frontiers in this as much as just like me. <laughs> I mean, and I've facilitated in a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of came into youth frontiers already having a lot of knowledge about how to, how to work oh, a crowd. And that oh, was yeah. less because of music and more because of, I don't know, speech, oration. Um, it's not like I've, I've done any of that competitively or anything mm. like that, but I, I've always sort of, I guess, yeah. been coming from that perspective. Yeah, and I, I hate breaking the third wall on like acknowledging that we have microphones yeah. in front of but Youth Frontiers being an organization that goes into schools and we, through games, music. Oh, yeah. I mean, explain, yeah. yeah. Youth Frontiers is. Yeah. But just for anybody. Youthfrontiers.org. It's a really great organization. Yeah. They're doing a lot of great things, not just in um, the Twin Cities in the Midwest, but. Uh, and they go into high schools and middle schools and they put school, on events, schools. takes yep. kids out of classes, and teaches. You talk about. Uh, kindness, or, courage, kindness, yeah. respect. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, I think it's so cool. It so was, it was so much fun it. working with that organization because, okay, quick story yeah. uh, and, at the cool things that Youth Frontiers gets to do. So. Um, if you haven't figured out from the podcast, I'm black. I know I sound like a little white kid, uh, but that's growing up in Ames, Iowa. Uh, so I went back to Iowa for a couple of different retreats that I had, and there were um, some uh, black students that mm -hmm. were in one of the uh, the conversations that we we had. Like, I, it, talk about like setting up for the day. We, yes. we call it goal of the day, where we talk about what the day is going to look like. So, mm -hmm. like you're saying, giving the kids a roadmap. Yes. What is this thing? Yes. What, what are, are we, we all what are you about? In for? Here? Yeah. I have no idea. And How so, long is this going to be? Right. <laughs> Address that. This yeah. is your day. Yeah. Strap in. Yeah. Um, so I was just telling a story about um, how I was in high school. I remember my freshman year of high school. Um, between my freshman and sophomore year, I grew my hair out. Yeah. And so it was the first time I had an afro, and that was a really big step for me because uh, you know when you're. When you're different in a small town, the last thing that you want people to do is be like, "You're different." Yeah. And so just this was a freaking fit in. Yeah, you just want to yes. fit, especially at that age, like yeah. freshman year, eighth yeah. grade. Oh my just gosh, like, 
Just uh, don't I, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect year for both of us to be growing like madmen. Like crazy and, people. Yeah, absolutely. Obnoxiously oh, tall. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, I'm so already so tall. So at that point, I was just like, whatever. I'm you know, I, I love my hair. And so I grew it out. That was the first time. And I came back uh, from summer vacay with an afro. And so my, I remember feeling really anxious mm. about how people were going to treat me. And I'm telling this story in front mm. of these kids that are the same age that I was. And... I talk about how cool that was for me to have like my friends be like, "Whoa, your hair's awesome, dude!" Yeah. And so we, I later that that day, there's a another little black girl there, and she comes up to me and she's like, "I just want to say that it's so nice seeing you because it lets me know that I can make it." Hmm. You know, because I know what it's like being Man. black in these small Man. towns. Yeah. It's not. It's, I can't only imagine what my sisters went through. I, I know for a fact that my male privilege shielded me um, more than it does like as a black woman, mm. especially when you're smart, when you're educated, when you're blowing people out of the water with your grades yeah. and with your test scores. Yeah. Both my sisters were national merit scholars Jeez. with their like yes. their ACTs or something. Yeah. Like they, were, they both were, like literally won awards for like their test scores. It's stupid. Anyway, um, they... I was telling that story and, and, and I was, she connected me and she was like, seeing you lets me know that I can make it and I can make it out of here. Mm. And I couldn't let it just lie because I had to say to her, you know, there's another half to that story. Um, the half that I don't tell in front of the school. And it's probably because, you know, it's not Youth Frontiers appropriate in the sense that it's probably not appropriate for a full group and it's not also not what about that moment in the day is for. But I told her the rest of the story. The rest of the story is this, is that I played basketball um, for a small school, and we went all around like I-80 and down into like southern Iowa and played other teams. Mm -hmm. And the longer that my hair got, the more people, parents, students, sometimes the coaches, would shout mean things at me, like racial slurs, like while I was playing basketball, before games, after games, during games. The, the longer that my hair got, it was directly correlated you could like see a change, like a drastic change. And here's really? how I, here's how I, I was. It was clear to me is because it got so bad, I shaved my head. Uh, I shaved my head and it stopped. No, uh, it went back to being just like a hidden thing. Yeah, yeah. Rather than like flaunting my my otherness, my blackness. Mm. You know, they they it was they were used to again like yeah. people looking and appearing like me. Yeah, not like. Absolutely, I still think somewhere in like the public consciousness, Afros are predominantly seen as like this black militant, black okay. panther thing, you know, which is another thing that I think, not think, no popular media has slanderized into being something that it actually wasn't. But I shaved my head and it stopped. And I told her this, I was like, honestly, yes, I was myself and mm -hmm. I did put myself out there. And I'm not sad that looking back that I shaved my head because I don't think that any sophomore in high school, any kid, should have to deal with adults and parents of kids their age should have to deal with yeah. it. But I said that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be hard. Yeah. But you can make it. Yeah. You can make it. I, I needed to be real with her in that moment. I didn't want to pull yeah. my punch for her. Yeah. Because I, if I were her age, would need an adult to not pull yes. the punch for me. Like, if I grow my hair out, everything's going to be yes. dandy. Man. 
and, I and so I, I, that was me learning. That was me. Like no one could tell man. me that this was going to happen. Uh, I just learned. Man, and then me. I was like, well, let's just make that go away. Uh, and then just like, again, survive. But here's the thing is that uh, my summer between my senior, junior and senior year, I grew it back because I, I had the kind of self-confidence, yeah. the self-love. Yeah. I need to grow as a person to yeah. say, I know who I am. And also it helps that uh, I was a ridiculously good basketball player <laughs> yeah. at that point too. Like dunking on kids yes. during, video, during basketball games uh, oh, ridiculously. Uh, I, I had gotten pretty good at that point. And so, you know, man, that, I was okay with that kind yeah. of the, the eyes on me. Man, that is... I talk about being a tourist in this situation. Sure. Like I just can't even... Because I, our stories like me doing the same thing, traveling with basketball, mm-hmm. playing different places mm-hmm. in the Midwest, in uh, in Nebraska, I eighty, the whole deal. Right. And I'm I couldn't I cannot imagine in like people yelling racial slurs. It made my fellow players and coaches so uncomfortable they literally could not uh, address it. My yeah. coaches never stood up for me. My fellow players never mm. stood up for me. How did that make you feel? Uh, like, really abandoned uh, and alone. Like, really, like... Oh, man. I am alone here. I am different. No one is going to help me. Yeah. I hope this doesn't result in violence. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's not like... I'm thinking less about my peers and thinking, like, if I get jumped by the team or people after yeah. this game... Because even when I was younger, I was still really good, but I matured a lot as a basketball player from my freshman year to my senior year. Like, I was always coming away having scored the most points on either team, mm-hmm. almost every game. And I didn't want to be, it to be the kind of situation where, like, they were going to retaliate on, on me physically. Mm-hmm. Because as a nine, I, something I know about myself, I'm a pacifist. Okay. I have a hard time even thinking about being violent to another person in any context. Yeah. Myself. I yeah. certainly recognize that there's violence in the world. If I was being assaulted or something like that, it would be the kind of thing where I would defend myself just enough to either incapacitate them, yeah, but do the just least just, amount of harm, yeah, don't just or neutralize the situation. Literally, like run away if yeah, I could yeah. would yeah. be like my yeah. first reaction. And yeah. like I've been in one fight and uh, I didn't have a choice in it, and yeah. then it was like done. Yeah, and because I, I'm uh, diffusing situations, charming yes. my way out of situations yes. has been I'm my wi- prerogative, uh, yep. and has served I'm me with well. You, on that, yeah. you know, and so I. It's never come to blows, really, even as an adult. Like, even if someone's shouting in my face, it's just my favorite thing to do is to neutralize that with, like, kindness. Mm. It's just to be like, why are, what's yeah. up, man? Yeah. Why are you doing this right now? <laughs> Sounds like you got something on your mind. Yeah. Do you want to share it? And, yeah, uh, let's talk about yeah, if this. You can, if you can verbalize it. You want to get a drink? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, like, go somewhere to grab yes. a drink, man. Yeah. You know? In my tree. Yeah. Like, let's Some guy this. was heckling me at a show, and I ended up buying him a drink afterwards. So yeah. Just so we could talk. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So yeah, totally. I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that's, like, chomping uh, at the bit to just, yeah. like, exert my physicality over someone. Or even oh, being, man. like, test me, man. That's yeah. not me. I don't not, like... And again, if we talk about uh, ideals, ideas of like uh, blackness and male blackness specifically, is another reason why I think a lot of my perspectives are not so mm. popular in that arena. Ooh, that was a way earlier point that I was going to make. So around yeah. like patriotism, like needing to embrace that in in ideas of um, uh, the gender rights and um, feminism and Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, colorism, like uh, this idea of we're 
patriotic too, mm. that just as patriotic as you are, that kneeling at the flag is not an act of disrespect to the flag. It's actually honoring our tradition of protest in the United States, as mm. old as the Tea yeah. Party. <laughs> yeah. Tea Party. Um, but something yeah. that we're participating in yeah. now, it, it means that, you know, Martin Luther King said it best, and he actually said it on the U of M, M campus, uh, which is another speech I got to write, which was super fun. But it was, it was, he was addressing this idea of patriotism. It's that critiquing America is an act of love. That hmm. I, I don't just love America. I, I want to see it better. I want to see it succeed. And trying to say the kinds of things that we need to to get it to the point that it can be the country that I know it to be, that I know yeah. it can be, is is a sacrifice I'm willing to make. If I got to be the bad guy for a time or permanently, whatever, man, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. I'm not afraid of that yeah. because I know who I am. That's yeah. that self-love thing. Um, but patriotism um, with this idea of breaking down traditional gender roles, uh, something I know you don't have much perspective on, but there's there's absolutely like white masculinity, but there's also black masculinity, which is mm. in and of itself is a very toxic thing that I'm sure that you can listen to when you listen to any popular rap song. Mm. You know, these, these like ingrained ideas of uh, misogyny and violence and yeah. consumerism that's just like, this is in no way valuable to me. And yep. I know that that's not going to earn me points yep. when I move to L.A. Yep. Uh, or, you know, I not even become, but, you know, you give me a platform, I, I will 100% say and have people attack yes. me. Because, I mean, things like... Just because of who I am, yeah. I remember when I would visit my family in Kansas City. You know, you don't you you talk white, you don't talk black. You know, all of these things. Uh, like, I understand I can't imagine that, how confusing that would be. Dude. I mean, like people call you Uncle Tom, people call you all these things, and the thing is that I love black people just as much as any black person does, or otherwise. Yeah. You know, so I'm not worried about you know being called all these things when the effort that I know I'm ultimately making is towards making everything better. Yes. So being unafraid to... I'm not the hero Gotham needs. Yeah. <laughs> or blackness. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm the one it deserves. Yes. Like, if that's the if yeah. that's the role I got to play in this, as far as, like... You know, I, I wasn't afraid of Tucker Carlson. I was like, I would just like to be lucid when it happens, yeah. you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I I think that's so cool, your your perspective on, like, I'm not I'm not the person, but I am... I am me, and so I'm gonna say my voice. I'm yeah. just fascinated with this thought. Love yourself, embrace that you have something to say. Mm -hmm. And I just I even, it's just funny how when you're talking about black masculinity, something mm -hmm. something as no matter how many people I talk to, I will never fully understand. Sure. Uh, something that, that being, <laughs> even black people don't understand, honestly. Yeah. And, and they don't understand the way it affects them, or their yeah. culture, yeah. the way that they see each other. Yeah. You know, I would say yeah. that there's, there's some black intellectuals that are trying to get a grasp on it. Yeah. Um, but even then, I mean, the thing about um, systems and the way that we raise people is it's always one of those things that's constantly changing and fluctuating. So there can only ever be an investigation, not a conclusion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, okay. This, this, no, this is what this that no, that's true. Um, okay. Earlier we talked about you. You mentioned. It is not someone's responsibility mm -hmm. to educate you in this situation. Sure. So on the one side of someone that needs to be educated, that needs to be more open, less uh, less polarized, well, all these things we're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, you, you, that was an awesome advice of like, get out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. embrace that. Now, in today's conversation with the world, there's also the other side 
of the side of people that have something to say, sure. but are saying it so aggressively sure. that you are not, and you were even talking about violence earlier, and that right. I almost think of like negative violent language that sure. is around us all the time. I'm wondering if you have insight or thoughts on, uh, I'm just curious about what it, what it takes to change someone's mind. Your language seems to be, it lets defensive guards down. Mm. If you are on the side of saying, man, we, we need to be more open, we need to be more diverse, like, and you want to convince people of mm-hmm. this love, how do, we, how do you hold yourself? And that's, I don't know if that makes sense. Like on the sure. other side of convincing people, how do you change someone's mind? What yeah, goes into you that? have a couple of different parts to your question. So, yeah. you know, along the lines of how can we, from opposite sides of this conversation, connect, I think that no conversation happens without respect. Mm. And not just self-respect, but yeah. like respect for whomever yeah, you're yeah. talking to. Yeah. If you genuinely come into a conversation feeling like, you're right and there's nothing that anyone can say to convince you otherwise that is a, absolutely a person that I will tell them like yeah. no I'm not going to have a conversation with you because um, you're, you're not listening to me yeah. like why, if I'm going to listen to you mm. but you don't want to listen to me this isn't going to be a productive conversation um, yeah. I, yeah I won't go there um, <laughs> I love, I love the, the self filtering of like um, uh, no, no, no I won't go that <laughs> I have recent examples that I won't use uh, because they're personal family ones. Um, but I, what I would say is this, you know, hmm. if, if the, so it starts with mutual respect, saying that, you know, we will have a conversation, I will treat you the way that I hope you will treat me, hmm. and that's the place that we're going to have the conversation yeah. from. Then you can have a, a good conversation. Another thing that you should be prepared for is to have opposite opinions on yeah. a particular topic. It's okay to disagree. It, we can disagree and still respect each other. You think that money should be handled this way. I think it should be handled that way. We mm. can do that on a national perspective as far as you know, mm. fiscal responsibility. Yeah. I can do it in my own house in my marriage. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. we're not okay with the idea that yeah. I think that we should buy a TV and she's like, we're about to move. Yeah. We don't want to move yeah. a TV and then we won't have that money yeah. in case we need it. Yeah. You know, then I would say agree to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I would hopefully see eventually yeah. like that conversation would come to an understanding. Yeah. But it, it, then if you disagree, it's okay. Yeah. And to maybe address that conversation later when after you've molded over some more. That, that just because a person has an opposite view. Now I will say within that that there are some absurdist perspectives. As an example, I recall a conversation once a long time ago. When I say a long time, I mean a few years uh, now. Yeah. And it was between now disavowed Tommy Laren. Lair, 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 Tommy? Um, I don't even know. I'm not name. for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, the young blonde yes. lady that yep. is a pundit for uh, like a conservative right. She was on um, The Daily Show. Um, and, you know, the two had a conversation. <laughs> and. And one person's perspective was like a really violent sort of people shouldn't be allowed to or have a right to exist in certain spaces. Whereas the other person had to then have the position of like, absolutely those people should be allowed to be there yes. and 
to like live. Uh, and you know, so there are absurdist conversations where it's like, that's not where we should begin the conversation at. Yes. Is is at the right to and the sanctity of life. Yeah. As long as you are starting with, I think, some mutual understandings around the value of people, mm. the value of resources, of the planet, of money, of education. As long as you are starting from what I would say are reasonable principles, that's when a productive mm. conversation can happen. Yeah. But I would say that that conversation, I remember people came away and they were like, this is how it should always yes. be. And I was like, this was an absurdist argument. One person saying that these people should not be allowed to, and the other person's like, absolutely. Like, that's not, I don't want to begin the conversation there. Yeah. I want to begin the conversation at, how can we get along? How can you understand me and how can I understand yes. you? Like, if you think that we shouldn't be allowed, then let's agree that I should, in the very least, have the ability to have the same access to the things that you have access to. Mm -hmm. And that I am also entitled to be able to, like, I don't know, make a living wage. Or yes. have access to, like, yes. if I'm sick and they got medicine in there, can't you just, like, <laughs> let me in there? Help me out. And just like, let me have the med. Yes. You're gonna let me die. Yes. Okay. All right. That's not. I'd rather not start the conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, things like that. So, I would say that first, it begins with mutual respect. The second is, like, what conversation we're having. Is it absurdist to actually have that kind of perspective? Whales don't deserve to live. Kill all of yeah, them. Yeah. Our Earth is gonna last forever. Like, yeah, these yeah. are all things that are finite. We can't start the conversation there. Yeah. So I think that there is a certain reasonableness that, like, the conversation needs to be begun from. The other thing, as far as convincing people of your side, is having thought through it yourself. There's a lot of people mm. out there that have opinions on things that they're entirely unqualified to have. Yeah. Uh, and we can yeah. blame a lot of different things. You know, th there's a lot of reasons that people are very mistrusting of the media, and that's that's an earned right, mm. frankly, is that I think that you know the media is an industry like any other, and that they are trying to make money any way that they know how, especially because. Honestly, the media, like music, has felt yeah. a lot of pressure to be able to make money yeah. at an age where it's like they're reinventing their business model continuously. And yes. that desperation leads yes. to a certain sort of, well, this guy's making us money, so we need to give him the platform uh, because this is going to get us yep. what we, where we need to go. Yeah. And it, it's, so it's paralleling yes. what's happening yes. with the music industry. And so I, have, I simultaneously have mercy on the media mm -hmm. for feeling this desperation. But at the same time, I have mercy on people for being mistrusting of that media that's making these desperate moves. Yes. And so educate yourself yep. to our earlier point. After you've educated yourself and you've genuinely looked at it from as evenly a perspective as you can, if you're going to Infowars, if you're going to MSNBC, if you're going to like <laughs> these polarizing opposites of the spectrum and you're getting yeah. your your education, your resources, don't do it from Twitter, don't do it from Reddit. Like, you have to take an investment in yourself if you're mm. wanting to actually have a conversation about this. Because it's really easy to listen to a talking head or listen to a voice on the radio and yes. come to a conclusion Just that they so want you to have. so much noise, yes. Yeah, there is a lot of noise out there because it's, a, it's yeah. really easy to put yourself out there yeah. in a way where you can influence the dialogue yeah. and the conversation. But going back to um, how to convince someone is after you have that, genuinely listen to what they're saying. Mm. My wife's parents are farmers, and I know a lot of very poor, overlooked white people whose industries have just evaporated from their towns, and they're given all sorts of scapegoats mm -hmm. that reinforce the system 
of the 1% becoming the 0.1% that mm -hmm. like have 99% of the wealth. They're all fitting into that. And it's not even like with their knowledge, like they're, they're being played as a part of their fear, their desperation. They're yeah. being activated into these things that ultimately aren't good for them. Yeah. I don't think that they're unintelligent. I think that they are honestly being manipulated, that they are being deliberately the wool pulled over their eyes. And I would say that about, um, you know, poor, poor people of color who have that progressive candidate that comes in just in time for canvassing and then yeah. disappears for two years, Yeah, you know, until it's time to canvass again. It's like, hey, I'm back, buddy. <laughs> and it's like, you said you were going to do these things and all of these things yes. are still wrong yes. with our community. It's happening yeah. on both ends of the spectrum. And so once you educate yourself in these things and you have the knowledge, just genuinely listen to the things that that person is struggling mm. with. If you dismiss them as uh, either not fitting into the, your understanding of the world or if you dismiss them as um you know something wrong with that individual for an example uh, a mistrust of of legal authority yeah you know that's not something that just black people have that's something that poor white people have i know white people that treat poor white people worse than they treat people of color and women it's which i don't think that either of those groups are any more or less deserving it's just like okay if it's not yeah. Why, i'm not laughing because it's funny by the way i'm laughing at the absurdity it's, it's absurdity, the absurdity, it's absurdity. It. that's what's it's the yes. irony is so thick you laugh to keep from crying and so if you're if you're even trying to tell them about things like that don't do it with an air of arrogance um but it informative yeah. do it with a, a way where you're speaking about nothing but your own yeah. experiences because it's really hard for someone to argue with you yeah. if they're telling you what you experienced mm. and that's the, one of the things that i do with my stage act reverend yeah. doctors i'm not talking about racism i'm yeah. talking about my personal experience with racism because yes. no one can argue with that yeah. <laughs> if you embrace your story you are the expert yeah no one can be like no you that didn't happen absolutely well, screw you when you make generalizations when you yes. make um blanket statements when you make when you don't leave an out, when you don't leave people, when you say all white yes. people dot dot dot, when you say all black people dot dot dot, when you say all women dot dot dot, when you yep. say trans people dot dot dot, whenever you say things like that, you're setting yourself up for dismissal. Mm. Actually, uh, hyperbole has no place, I think, in any intelligent conversation. I have a real big problem with her hyperbole. Yes. Just because I'll hear people be like, it was the most awesome thing ever. And I'll be like, that's a strong statement <laughs> in my top 10. I'm like, yeah. really? Yeah. I'm all about hyperbole. You're telling me Power Rangers the movie is yeah. in your top 10 yeah. favorite movies. I like Power Rangers the movie. I think that it has a lot yeah. of value to me as an individual. Yes. Top 10 movies. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm going to fight you yeah, on that. Yeah. Like, we're going to have a conversation. Literally, the, I will probably tell people, literally the greatest conversation in my life. Really? Is that about? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. As of right now, in this moment, that's my... <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I'm the worst at that. I'm, uh, Just like I mean, that. I'm the worst at that. <laughs> it, that's also a cultural yeah. thing. I think that right now with the internet, with all of these different examples that we're given, it's really hard. I... I as in, I was an English major in yes. college. As a person that was focuses on language and how it's used and how mm. it influences systems of power, 
being mindful of the way that we use language is really valuable to yeah. me. Because I always need to know what we're talking about so we can have a conversation. Yeah. Yes. So, so yes. I always investigate first. Yes. That's another thing. Oh, there's uh, a, there's I, an additional I, point I, like, yeah, along I, with listening I is investigating. That. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you some know? questions and what are we what are we okay, talking you about? You just had that statement, but do you mean this or do yes. you mean this? Just we can so go I'm three clear. different ways with it. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm the king of asking a question that uh, has no focus. It could go no, four or five different ways. Absolutely. You, you're it's curious and you're investigating further. But oftentimes I found like having conversations with people and persuading them, asking them to have a clear stance on their perspective, um, oftentimes pokes holes in their own mind about the particular issue. Because when you're talking to people day to day, a lot of people haven't really thought out about what they feel and why. Because people have a very emotional response to things, which is okay. That's how we're built. And we live in a world where it's so much easier now to have an unthought-out opinion. Right. It's so easy. You can enter into a conversation without any blood, guts, or sweat yeah. by doing it anonymously on, uh, on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Just be like, well, I'll type in my opinion that I've never thought <laughs> more than three seconds about. Yeah, the world, that crazy thought. That lives out there now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm contributing, society. Yes. You're welcome. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, there was another part to your question after how do you no. convince someone of your, hey, your thought out thing before we get to that your thought out thing makes me think of a conversation I had with I interviewed a buddy of mine named Jordan Sirac uh -huh. and one of his things is when he's listening to podcasts in the car oftentimes if it's a new thought he's never thought of before he'll pause it and he will have conversations with himself out loud mm -hmm. where because he says I want to vocalize it because I have, it needs to be external for sure. him he's an and so I'm going to talk about it out loud so I can form my thoughts just yeah. in case I ever need to share it right. I want to have thought about it before. Anyways, yeah. I, so I think what you're saying, the, the think through something and have a formed opinion. Is oh yeah, really, I'm the same way yeah. too. Like after, like, oh, it's, when listening to podcasts, it's the worst because I wish that I always had someone next to me to like have a dialogue about something that they, they yes. drop. I've been really yes. enjoying the Liturgist podcast oh too much because uh, I really resonate with it as an individual. But um, one of the oh. things that they were discussing was how uh, it was this brief, like, it wasn't even the point of what she yes. said. It was yeah, yeah. so brief. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, about uh, gender roles. It was about, they had one really recently about masculinity. Yes. And they, yes. She, oh. she mentioned that I want a man that's taller, you know, I and it was just, that was, that was that quick. Is yes. that quick. And things, I know we're both tall guys. But yeah. it always felt weird to me, and it still feels weird to me, that... You know, women have a "you must be this tall to ride this ride" kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like there's not like if you're not taller than me yeah. by this much, then I'm not yeah. talking to you. And as a tall guy, like I've never necessarily felt threatened by that, but I would think for my shorter, cooler friends, like that's not fair. You should yeah. totally be allowed to. Yes. To like, this is a great person with a lot of. Yes. But it, 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 they, their point was that that idea of needing to feel smaller and protected and all of these things actually fits into this continuum of toxic masculinity. Yeah. And, and that was something yeah. that, like, in that moment, I really wanted to talk yeah. out loud. Yes. You're like, oh, and the worst where is thing, somebody here? I came home and uh, my wife was there and uh, she, I, I love I her and she this. loves me, but she hates talking with me about things like that. Like, yes. that's not the person to have conversations yes. like that about. You know, uh, yes. she's just like, I. this is boring. Can I go now? Yes. Is like uh, all the expressions on her face. Do you ever have it where you, I, so many times I almost want uh, my wife, Sarah, to be, I mm. want to be like, here's, here's this, liturgist yeah. does it to me yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's like, can you, do you mind like, 
listen to this. I know it's like three hours long, but I, can you listen to this? <laughs> and then so, so then you listen, and then we can talk about it. Because yeah. I start talking about it, I'm like, well, you actually don't know what I'm talking about because you haven't listened yeah. to it yet. So yeah. of course the conversation is even more boring for you because yeah. it's one-sided. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's. Man, you, you should just call me now instead. And yeah, I'll talk I, to you about it. Yeah, man, we'll dissect the, it. Oh uh, man. Dude, I want to be I want to be respectful of your time. Sure. So let's wrap up with this. Sure. Do just in the sense, man, I'm so thankful that you're willing Thank you to for get together. Me. Oh, Absolutely. Man. Yeah. I'm, you, I'm glad it worked out. I feel okay. This is what this is a big thing. I didn't know it's we would talk personal. so much about race, gender, equality. Oh man, I know. I, thought I we were love talk it. about music. I know. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I love I love that you're open. So here's here's a, here's a couple takeaways from sure. me personally. Number one, the thought that. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that you as uh, someone of color or whatever, any, any, anybody else in their own scenario that we were talking about, it's not their job to educate everyone. No, and I, I know that, but man, I am so thankful that you are willing, because I, I am so ignorant in so many of these areas. So I'm just willing that, number one, you've taken the time to, to like think through your thoughts. Sure. So that you ha- you can eloquently say something that I can like I can listen digest. to. And digest. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I like, get that. oh, I've never thought of that before. Man. So I'm just like, so in the sense of, man, your nineness and your the sense of you being this bridge is so mm. huge, man. Mm. I'm just so thankful that you're open about that because in the sense of it not being your responsibility. Sure. Uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take from. the responsibility, but yes, it is not anyone who is like that. It's not their responsibility, yes, 100%. right? One hundred percent. And man, if something- anyone wants to email or text me <laughs> or write me uh, at my website or whatever, and yes. we can, I will we have that conversation with. As long as again, it's not in that area where it's like people shouldn't live, yes. and then it's no, we're not going to have. I that really hope this. Enc- I mean, this encourages me in the sense of, and even we talked about that, the tourism. Mm-hmm. Like I've said, ah, there's so much. This is so awesome. The, another big thing is, I naturally, in my tunis, uh, am I am uncomfortable with uncomfortability in the mm. sense. I always want to like, let's have the conversation be light. Let's not dive into. But I feel like this conversation has really helped me want to dive into uncomfortable conversations and disagree like that's where agree the to happens, disagree man. yes and yeah. this, oh man I, that's something I may be taking away from yeah, this man. that's so awesome it's crazy that you and I right now we live I mean what is it tw- 20 blocks from each other sure. 30 or something yeah. like that whatever it is like we've, li- we've lived in a city and somehow we've just missed each other's circle in a city where sure. everybody knows everybody yeah we, I, I'm, I'm got together with you a week before you're leaving or yeah. days before now days. Uh, yeah. man. so I'm I close on my house in two days from now. oh dude okay well we I mean we have to stay in contact yeah. I, I'm yeah I like I said love that. intellectual things where yes. you're like I need to know about this like, let's, let's have that uh, conversation man done and done if okay uh, I want to make sure if someone wants to keep up or like contact you or like social media or yes. like where's the best place to contact uh, you? The place that I'm most prolific as far as releasing new just content yeah, about yeah. the band is Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know why. I'm I terrible at Twitter. I do yeah. have a Twitter. I should probably yeah. take it down because I just My Twitter is just tweeting. links to my Instagram. Whenever I post something. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. Uh, as far as... Um, what is your Instagram handle? Uh, my Instagram handle is underscore Reverend Doctor, yeah. I believe. I'll link all this stuff in the yeah. show notes. Um, so it's at underscore Reverend Doctor. Apparently Reverend yeah. Doctor was taken probably by an actual minister. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I would imagine... I'm going to uh, let them take yeah, that. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. Right, yeah. I'll be the underscore. Exactly. Uh, a minister and studied medicine. I don't know what he's thinking. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's he's we'll way better at life than yeah. I am. Let's yeah. just say that. Uh, so, 
uh, underscore Reverend Doctor is like probably the best way to keep in touch with like news and events and updates and places that I go and things that I see and do. As yeah. far as um, just general information about the band, mm-hmm. I would say my Facebook is most up to date about yeah. the news. My website is going to be the most polished presentation yeah. of what I have to. I mean, just because really Facebook's good, yeah. a mess. It's it just. Mess. I mean, oh. it's a necessary evil. I I will be honest with you yeah. right now. If I didn't have a musical act, I would 100% not be on Facebook. No question. I would be the exact same way. It is. require you to have it if you're going to get booked anywhere. Because a large part of it is like they look at marketing. Like how many fans does this person have in this area? Yeah. You know, and so it's it's really useful for them. Same thing with Spotify, which is okay. But um, as far as I would say uh, the most intentional, like my wife's a graphic designer. and, And we've thought about every part of Reverend Doctor. And I would say... The website, which is just reverenddoctormusic.com, yeah. um, is is probably the best way to keep in touch. You can become a part of the email yeah. list there. I do send out email blasts, yeah. not regularly. I would yeah. say like once every like month to two months. Yeah. I'm not about spam. I hate it when people Dude. are like, yeah. here's my cat. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I love cats. I'll I show do. up to your Instagram. Why are you emailing me this? Right, right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want to see that stuff, that's my Instagram. Yeah. Everyone's used with like, yeah. being noise in there, but I'm not going to flood oh, your inbox. Funny. I mean, yeah. being in IT, you got to have respect yeah. for people's inboxes.